Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And as we get started today, I've really got one goal, very simple goal on the podcast, and that is to cut through some of the noise that we hear uh, in the news today and hopefully perhaps educate ourselves a bit. Uh, that's what we're after. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell back with you. And, you know, surely there's no hotter topic in our country today than immigration. Um, now, it's not our goal on this conversation today to debate any policies or what may be happening, but really what I want to do is better understand some of the laws and requirements related to immigration and uh, immigration-related employment issues, because those are things that people are making noise about, but maybe we don't really understand what the process really is. I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast for the first time a tremendous source of information, Attorney Vishal Chabria. Vishal has recently moved his successful private practice over to uh, join the team of attorneys at Lavelle Law, and they are going to start a new immigration law practice group there. So a lot to talk about, Vishal. First of all, welcome to the podcast. So nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. So one of the key reasons people migrate to the United States is to find jobs and reach for opportunities that maybe don't exist in other places. Um, we hear of things like green cards and visas, and, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, I hear those terms. I don't know what they mean. So let's let's start with some basics. Can you tell us what a green card is and what its intended purpose is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, a green card is basically just a shorthand way of saying that an individual who is a foreign uh, national, so a citizen of a country that's not the United States, uh, has permanent residency in the United States. And um, it's basically someone who's granted authorization to live and work in the U.S. on a permanent basis. Okay. And, And are green cards available specifically for employment situations, or are they granted for people who simply want to come for family reasons? Yeah, there's various ways to get green cards. Um, one of the ways is through family. In other ways, through a job where you have a employer who petitions for you. Uh, you can also get a green card by being a refugee or an asylee. And um, there are some other kind of more uh, less used ways to get a green card as well. So we can probably don't have enough time to get into all of that, but I'd say those are the three larger yeah. uh, categories. Okay. Okay. And then what about a visa? Now, we hear that term. How is that different, or is it similar in most ways? Yeah, well, so a visa is a generic term of a document that allows you to enter the United States. Uh, There are two broad categories of visas. One is an immigrant visa, and that would be related to a green card. So if an individual, again, a foreign national, gets an immigrant visa, then that immigrant visa leads to someone having a green card in their in their wallet. Um, but if you get a non-immigrant visa, and there are hundreds of types of these, uh, a non-immigrant visa, then that basically just tells a government officer that you're here in, a te- in, a te- in some kind of temporary fashion or temporary basis, either working or, or living in um, uh, either through employment or other ways. Okay. And I, I want to go back to what you said earlier about green cards. The, uh, is, are these permanent, then? Do they expire at any point? Or once you have a green card, then you can remain here in the U.S.? 
Right. Uh, the, lar- the, the most broad-based answer is that generally people's green cards are for 10 years, and you're able mm-hmm. to renew that green card through a particular petition uh, about six months before it expires. Um, there's a little bit more nuance to that if you're, for example, if you get a green card based on marriage to a U.S. citizen, then you have what's called a conditional green card, and you have to go through a process to make that conditional green card an unconditional green card. Okay. And you mentioned, I was so confused in looking at the notes when, when I saw the term non-immigrant work visa, and, and you gave us a uh, uh, a kind of a brief description there. Um, and I know as we get into the conversation today, we're going to find, as you mentioned, plenty of nuances, but are, are there multiple types of non-immigrant work visas then? There are. There, there. This refers to what we call in the industry as the alphabet soup of visas. Um, and that's <laughs> it's pretty much because you have visas that are B visas, E visas, Uh, H visas, L visas, and basically all of these categories going down the alphabet are different visas filed under different conditions. Um, So one of the the most popular uh, that you'd read about in the news is the H-1B visa, and this is for specialty workers. Um, There's usually about three times the amount of visas uh, applied for uh, than are available uh, each year. And so th- this is kind of hot news right now and, and, uh, because we're kind of what we call an H-1B visa season where a lot of people, employers, are gearing up to hire H-1B visa workers. And when we talk about uh, a worker or a migrant coming here having one of these documents, is the process required that they secure the document before they come to the U.S., or can someone come here and then have some period of time in which to uh, to acquire one of those documents? Yeah, and here again, there's two broad categories, a lot, a lot of stuff in between, but there's two broad categories. One is a, an individual who, again, is a foreign national who is either in their country of citizenship or some third country, um, and they someone applies for a visa for them, and they then go through a process called consular processing, which is basically interacting with the Department of State, either at an embassy or a consulate abroad, the United States Embassy or Consulate Abroad. The other category is individuals who are physically present in the United States and who apply to adjust their status or apply for a new status. So, for example, the best example is someone comes here on a student visa, and and that's, again, a non-immigrant visa, and then they, they finish their program, they do really well, they have an employer who wants them to stick around and work for them. That employer then applies for another non-immigrant visa, which, for example, could be the H-1B visa. So two different ways. Some people are physically present here. They can adjust status or change status, or folks who are in their country of citizenship, and they um, go to a consulate abroad. And you just did a, a great job of anticipating one of my questions. I, I was curious, do all of these applications go through one government entity? You mentioned the State Department. Is that who handles all of these? Uh, so when when you are a foreign national uh, not in the United States, you're largely dealing with the Department of State. So that's, that's, that's the agency that you're interacting with. You There are particular Department of State forms that you have to fill and you're interacting with Department of State uh, officers. 
when you're in the United States, physically present here, you're largely dealing with the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, which is a different department. Okay. And and citizenship is something I want to get to in just a minute. We're we're talking to attorney Vishal Chabria on Chicago's Legal Latte today and, and I can already anticipate that uh we'll have a, a number of great discussions with him in the future. Um I met Vishal recently and you can do the same electronically uh if you find his profile at lavellelaw.com. You'll also get a broader overview of the Immigration Law Practice Group by visiting the new homepage for that group again at uh, lavellelaw.com. And before we talk about citizenship, just one last thing, Michelle, you mentioned uh, there's so much public discourse uh, that focuses on the individual. But I think I heard you say, and this was one of my questions, isn't it very common that major corporations here in the U.S. want these workers, they're actively recruiting these workers from, from different countries, and it's to their benefit that we have a process that allows them to, to solicit and find skilled workers in certain areas? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to look no farther than Silicon Valley. I mean, um, a lot has been made in the news as of late about, uh, you know, a lot of the founders of, uh, one of the, some of the largest uh, Silicon Valley startups and companies were at some point perhaps uh, students who came here. Uh, they were foreign nationals, students who came here then, you know, uh, were able to avail of our immigration process to be able to stay here and work and continue to add value uh, to other companies and then perhaps started their own. Um, there are uh, definitely uh, huge there's, – there's a lot of benefits, of course, with being able to have a diverse pool of candidates to hire from uh, from different parts of the world and also taking advantage of folks who came here and studied and um, learned – you know, learned all about American culture and values and then wanted to continue to promote those through their own work. Yeah. And and citizenship is, is very critical and gets lost in the shuffle here. How how complicated is that process? And is it a process that has changed a lot recently or does it remain the same as it has been for a while? Yeah, in, in many ways, citizenship, the process of citizenship is not very complicated. I mean, usually there are some basic um, fundamentals before you apply for citizenship. Um, you have to be 18 years or older. You have to be a green card holder, so you have to be a lawful permanent resident, as we talked about earlier. And you have to demonstrate that you've been in the United States for uh, some proportion of the last five years. Um, and in the, the exception there is if you're married to a U.S. citizen, it's three years. Um, and you have to show that you've at least lived for three months in this district from where you claim residence. So that's kind of your the, the initial vetting process. And then after that, you take it mm -hmm. from there. You actually file an application. Um, and depending on where you're filing, what district you live in, it takes a number of months. And uh, the next thing that gets people nervous is they have to, a lot of folks have to take a, an actual test. So they have to study up on their basic U.S. civics. Um, and they have to do a little bit of a reading and writing test as well in most conditions. And, and across the board, whether it's citizenship or going back to the, the visas, uh, green cards, as you just mentioned, uh, for citizenship, there's an, there's an onus on the individual to, to prepare for the test and, and meet those requirements. But a lot of this does sound a bit complicated. And tell me about how an experienced immigration attorney can really help families, individuals, or companies with, with their efforts and guide them through the process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's Number one, I think it's important to get experienced counsel on your side to help you with the application process because you want to make sure you've 
essentially, you know, crossed all your T's, dotted all your I's. You have all the right information in the application. You're not saying yes to something when you should say no. You're including all the critical information. You're not misinforming USCIS. You're giving all the information that they need to quickly uh, and expeditiously get through your application and get your appointment lined up so you can take it to the next level. You want to make sure that you're also not uh, applying for something for which you're perhaps under the regulations and rules at the time uh, would prohibit you from seeking that benefit because what would happen is you could end up losing your I mean, in most of these applications, you have a USCIS fee that's involved. This is separate and apart from a fee you'd pay an attorney. There's just a standard fee that you pay the government. And a lot of times, you'll end up doing the application, sending it out to the government. They'll take your check and run the application through. And somewhere down the process, you'll realize that maybe you weren't even allowed to um, do that particular uh, thing that you were trying to do, and you'll have lost that money. So uh, that is usually a very good reason to get experienced immigration counsel up front to really get you through the process in, in, in the best way possible. And we've just got about a minute or so left here, and you mentioned USCIS. Um, I, I see there's just countless forms. Um, which you've alluded to can be very confusing and you want to get the right one. A am I correct in understanding that the forms themselves, the processes, all of that changes fairly frequently? So, again, another reason to, to work with someone who really knows what the current requirements and processes are? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm on all the uh, listservs and even with USCIS, I get emails literally every single day from the government departments telling me which forms have changed, how they've changed, how filing fees have changed. I make sure on a daily basis, literally, that I'm up to date on the newest forms, what the fees are. You know, for example, if, if USCIS updates a form uh, and you submit the old version of the same thing and it looks largely the same, it might not be accepted. So this could cause a massive delay in your case. So you want to make sure that uh, experienced immigration counsel is uh, watching all of that for you. So immigration law, not only a critical component of, of our economy, our legal system, it sounds like it's a very fluid one as well. So I want to uh, thank our, our guest today, Attorney Vishal Chabria, for uh, being with us and, and ask him to come back and join us soon so we can continue this conversation. If you need to reach him prior to that, uh, he is available at 847-705-7555. And as mentioned earlier, LavelleLaw.com is a great starting point as well. Uh, and as always, we'll do our best to keep you uh, current here on the podcast and bring you uh, the latest information and updates from Vishal and his colleagues at Lavelle Law.